Hello, and thank you for joining us for this week's uh, reading of the business record for July 5th. Uh, I'm Pat Steele, and thank you for joining us. Our first story is Story Kenworthy and Workspace Foundation for Giving is now accepting grant applications from eligible nonprofit organizations. Application window will remain open until August 31st. Five grants, each valued at $5,000, will be awarded to nonprofit organizations whose initiatives align with Story Kenworthy and Workspace's core philanthropic focuses. The focus areas are abuse and violence prevention, children and education, diversity, equity and inclusion, and mental health awareness and services. Nonprofit organizations passionate about creating positive impacts within these focus areas are encouraged to apply. Details about the Story Kenworthy and Workspace giving programs and grant applications can be found on their website. American Equity Investment Life Holding Company has accepted a $4.3 billion offer to be acquired by the reinsurance arm of Canadian investment firm Brookfield Asset Management. This report comes from Reuters. Brookfield already owns a 20% stake in the fixed annuities provider. It will buy all the shares it does not own for $55 per share. Bloomberg reports that Brookfield reinsurance bid includes $38.85 per share in cash plus $16.15 per share in Class A stock of Brookfield Asset Management Limited. It plans to continue American Equities' push into alternative assets and would have Brookfield Asset Management oversee a large part of the company's portfolio, according to the article. Under its current leadership, American Equity has been transformed into an innovative asset light insurer, Brookfield Reinsurance Managing Partner John Baer said in the news release announcing the deal. Given the complementary nature of American Equities lending fixed annuity business to our existing platform, we expect to accelerate growth in collaboration with our distribution partners. This deal comes months after a nearly $4 billion offer from Elliott Investment Management-backed insurance firm Prosperity Life that American Equity rejected. The Brookfield offer represents a 35% premium to American Equities' closing price on June 23rd, the last full trading day before Bloomberg reported Brookfield's interest. Brookfield Reinsurance CEO Sashan Shah wrote in a letter to American Equities Board last month that he would maintain the company's presence in West Des Moines, according to the Des Moines Register. The company has been headquartered in West Des Moines since it launched in 1995. American Equity also has offices in Charlotte, North Carolina, Miami, and New York. Shares of American Equity were up about 1.8% in trading this week. A troubled property in downtown Des Moines Entertainment District is getting a makeover that will include new tenants and a new name. In recent years, the brick building at Court Avenue and 3rd Street has been known for its propensity to attract illicit activity. The property's owners have cleared the buildings of all tenants and are working to secure new ones, said Tony DeSalvo, a member of the Cedar Falls-based ownership group. New tenants could include a restaurant that would be on the first floor, an entertainment venue that would occupy the second floor, and a live Nashville-style music venue on the third floor, he said. The building's name will be changed from Court Center to the CC. 
DeSalville said, the mix of concepts within a building is so very important. We have a responsibility to get the best mix of businesses in the building because we are at the epicenter of the Court Avenue Entertainment District. This building can impact so much from a block away, two blocks away, to a mile away. In recent months, the building at 216 Court Avenue has had a negative impact on the Court Avenue area. In 2022, at least 60 calls were made for police to go to the building for crimes ranging from theft and disorderly conduct to attempted murder and assault with a deadly weapon information provided by the city shows. The violence and other incidents have been a detriment to the Court Avenue District, a city official told the Des Moines Zoning Board of Adjustment, Adjustment last December. A board member said the area is described as the binge drinking district not in entertainment. The board voted to require businesses at the property to close by midnight and post signs stating that areas in the building, including stairwells, were being surveilled by video cameras. The restrictions are in place through mid-December. Jeff Hassman, another member of the ownership group, said the building's previous tenants were primarily bars and other establishments that focused on serving alcohol. Hassman said it was the wrong mix of concepts, the wrong mix of tenants. The ownership group acquired the property nearly two years ago with the goal of rebranding it into a different venue type. Hassman continued, What we're talking about is a new name, a new approach, a new beginning, a new view on Des Moines Entertainment. This building has served as a catalyst for the whole Court Avenue Entertainment area, and it will be again. I look back at 216 Court Avenue. The three-story brick building was constructed on a site that previously had been home to other similar warehouses, according to an historical narrative of the property that accompanied its placement on the National Register of Historic Places in 2006. Construction was completed in 1923. The design of the building by the local firm Vorce, Kratich, and Kratich is notable for its clean lines and rich surface textures, the narrative reads. The building, known as the Taft West Warehouse, was built during the transition between reliance on railroads to move products across the country to the use of trucks to transport goods. The structure is one of the few remaining warehouses in Des Moines from that era that were constructed and designed for trucks, according to the narrative. Others either were destroyed in fires or were raised. The warehouse was originally used by C.C. Taft Company, which sold wholesale fruits, vegetables, tobacco, and candy. The building was later occupied by O.B. West Company, another wholesale distributor, and then Plum Supply Company. Following World War II, Court Avenue declined as Des Moines Wholesale District and became a rendezvous for the uh, Dumernode, the narrative read. A number of things helped spark the revitalization of the Court Avenue area in the mid-1970s. Among them were the low rental rates and the area's architectural richness and proximity to the downtown businesses. In late 1991, a local restauranter named Nacho Mamas in the former warehouse opened. The restaurant included an outdoor patio that was popular with guests. In July 1993, floodwaters filled the building's basement and portions of the restaurant as well as many other structures in the Court Avenue district. While recovery from the devastating flood was slow, Nacho Mamas was eventually able to reopen. It permanently closed its doors in the early 2000s. In the mid-2000s, the Taft West Warehouse property was acquired by a new ownership group whose vision is to make the building a multi-venue 
destination. The building was renovated inside and out, including the addition of large, brightly lit signs touting the name Court Center. The building's renovation, which received a Des Moines Preservation Award, was completed in 2007. Its first tenants included A.K. O'Connor's Legends American Grill, Liars Club, People's Court, and C.C. Taft Company. Immediately, Court Center's variety of venues under one roof became a destination, Slingshot Architecture wrote about the project. The bar crowd started to migrate from the suburbs back to downtown, drawn to the street life and activity at the corner of Court and 3rd. The improvements also increased the value of the property, which in 2005 was $651,000, according to the Polk County Assessor. Ten years later, the property and its 35,000-square-foot building were valued at $5.4 million. Over time, however, tenants in the building left. They were replaced with establishments whose focus was mostly on serving alcohol rather than providing wholesome entertainment. Among the tenants were Shags, Beer Can Alley, The Exchange, The Firm, The District Bar and Grill, and Downtown Tap and Patio. The ownership group that included DeSalvo and Hassman acquired the property nearly two years ago. The plan was to bring in new tenants that provide safe and fun entertainment and dining options. City leaders are encouraged by the group's vision for the building, said Matt Anderson, Des Moines' deputy city manager. Anderson said they are still going to have establishments with liquor licenses, but there's going to be less of a focus on alcohol and a look toward entertainment. I think that plays well into what we envision Court Avenue being as an entertainment district rather than a drinking district. In recent months, the building has been largely vacant, creating a blemish in Court Avenue Entertainment District, Anderson said. One business, Spaghetti Works Restaurant, closed after more than four decades in the district. The restaurant's owner cited the district's unsafe atmosphere as a contributing factor to the closure. Other businesses have experienced challenges, including the popular Johnny's Hall of Fame at 302 Court Avenue. Said Todd Malang, a majority owner and operator of Johnny's, as well as the nearby Roca and Shorty's, both at 208 Court Avenue, said, This past year was a rough year for Johnny's. We've still done well, but it's not what we've been accustomed to. Making improvements in the building at 216 Court Avenue and bringing in new tenants will benefit the entire Court Avenue district, Malang said. He continued, it's great to have options all across the city. When we get visitors in, they're usually staying downtown. They want to go to the historic entertainment district. We need to have a good mix. DeSalvo and Hassman said they both have experience in commercial real estate and the hospitality industry. Hassman said, it's not like this is our first rodeo. He is also the managing director of Cedar Falls-based CVP Advisors, which provides strategic and financial services to regional businesses. DeSalvo is president of Harmonic Hospitality Group, a multi-concept restaurant, restaurant bar group that operates four concepts in Iowa, the Stuffed Olive, Roxy's, Derringer's Public Parlor, and Tap Tap. The two have done developments in downtown Cedar Falls and Iowa City's Ped Mall, they are involved in a project in downtown Omaha and will soon be announcing a project in another Midwestern city, Hassman said. We have a track record of doing and getting things done, he said. The ownership group has invested millions in cleaning out the building, and we will invest millions more in its makeover, Hassman said. He declined to provide a specific dollar amount. 
The group has a letter of intent from the operator of the Des Moines Stuffed Olive, which is now located at 208 3rd Street, to relocate to the street-level space at the CC. If this works out, said DeSavo, and we're in some pretty good conversations, they would be the anchor tenant on the first floor. The ownership group is also working to attract an amusement or entertainment venue to the second level and a live music venue to the third floor. Anderson, the city's deputy city manager, is hopeful the ownership group can attract new tenants and reinvigorate the entertainment district. Getting a new tenant on the first floor would be a good first step, he said. Anderson said, I also said, I think that would go a long way in convincing the public that Court Avenue is back and viable and is an important piece of our entertainment downtown. DeSavo and Hassman are hopeful that the street-level space will be occupied by late 2023 or early 2024. One sticking point is the Board of Adjustments requirement that businesses in the building close at midnight. The stipulation is in place until late December when the board is scheduled to review it again. Allowing businesses in the building to be open until 2 a.m. is crucial to attracting top-notch tenants, Hassman said. In August, the group plans on asking the board to lift the closing restrictions. The board's message was clear and the problems were fixed, Hassman said, and not only were they fixed, we were able to implement our vision for a reimagination of the building. The issue facing them is a lawsuit that's pending in Polk County District Court alleges that the ownership's group mismanagement of Court Center ultimately led to the Des Moines Zoning Board of Adjustments' decision to limit the hour of operations of establishment in the building. The lawsuit was filed in early June by Eric Hartung, who operated downtown Tap and Patio. The bar lost $42,000 a month after the Zoning Board's decision, the lawsuit said. The property's owners were responsible for maintaining the premises in a safe manner, the lawsuit said. The owners failed to meet that responsibility by allowing various patterns of illegal activity to take place within and around the building. Tony DeSavo, a member of the ownership group, said, We're very disappointed that the lawsuit even took place. DeSavo said the group gave Hartung a significant concessions after the board's decision last December. We knew that the 12 a.m. curfew was going to have a significant impact on them. The ownership group is hopeful that an agreement can be worked out with Hartung, DeSalvo said. We don't want them to leave. A trial date has not been set for the case. In continuing with the story, Shag's Club, a nightclub that had been located in the building at 216 Court Avenue, had ties to Cedar Falls Group that owns the property, a spokesman for the group said. There was some common ownership between the limited liability company that owns the property and Shag, said Tony DeSalvo, a member of the ownership group. The building ownership group had absolutely no knowledge or control over Shag's operations. As soon as the building ownership found out about the issues occurring at the nightclub, we shut down Shag's and never reopened. It was our choice. DeSalvo emphasized that Shag's will not reopen in the reimagined CC building. The Des Moines City Council last October voted to suspend Shag's liquor license for 14 days and fine the club $1,000. The suspension came after at least one person exposed themselves at Shag's and a sexual act was performed at the nightclub. The incident was captured on video and shared on social media. This story was written by Kathy Bolton of the Business Record. She's a senior staff writer there and covers real estate and development, law, government, and retail.
Elsewhere in the July 5th business record, the Greater Des Moines Partnership will be hosting an education and action event focused on youth employment, how to maximize the opportunities. The workshop will be held on Thursday, July 20th from 1 to 2.30 p.m. at Ketch Des Moines, which is located at 400 Locust Street, Suite 265 in Des Moines. Employers seeking talent and navigating youth employment legislation can gain valuable insights from the experts and service providers who work directly with young individuals. The event will feature a panel of esteemed speakers, including Kylie Reinhardt from Mercy One, Dwight Jackson from Urban Dreams, Alice Castle from IVRS, that's Iowa Vocational Rehabilitation Services, Allison Vukovic from IJAG, uh, that's Iowa Jobs for America's Youth, and Marvin DeGere, the Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer at the Greater Des Moines Partnership, who will moderate the discussion. Attendees can expect to learn best practices for maximizing youth employment opportunities and developing young individuals for future workforce success. To learn more about the event and register, you can visit the website Education in Action. A Denver group buys medical office property in Des Moines' east side. This is an article written by Kathy Bolton of the Business Record. Genesis KC Development LLC, an entity managed by Denver, Colorado-based DeVita Kidney Care, has purchased property at 1201 Pennsylvania Avenue in Des Moines, Polk County Real Estate Records show. The 1.2-acre parcel includes a 5,300-square-foot medical office building constructed in 1988. Genesis KC Development paid Gregory Smith $1.65 million for the property, which is valued at $1.2 million. The transaction was recorded on June 27th. In other real estate transactions, Sheila Tony paid Black Birch Homes and Design LLC $1.17 million for property at 1261 Timber Valley Drive in Polk City. The property includes a recently completed single-family house, the transaction was recorded on the 26th of June. Stephen and Claire Ridenauer paid Zoya Veronovich and Kai Larson $1.3 million for property at 2814 Forest Avenue in Des Moines. The property includes a two-story, 5,500-square-foot house built in 1905 and was updated in 2011. Hoffman Holdings LLC, located in Urbandale, paid Casey's Marketing Company $650,000 for property at 3935 Northwest Urbandale Drive in Urbandale. The 1.2-acre parcel includes a 3,068-square-foot convenience store building and fuel pumps. The property is valued at $920,600. That transaction was recorded on 30th of June. Bricktown Ashworth LC, based in Ames, paid Oakleaf Properties $2 million for residential lots in West Des Moines. The properties are located along Ashworth Road near the 81st Street intersection. And finally, Timothy and Jessica Fleming paid homes by DePhillips LLC $1.67 million for property at 145 Indian Ridge Drive in Waukee. Construction of the 3,367-square-foot uh, 3, house was recently completed. Elsewhere in this week's edition of the Business Record, Waukee Betterment Foundation announces 2023 Endowment Fund. Applications for the Waukee Betterment Foundation's Endowment Fund are now open until August 15th. 
Organizations interested in applying for endowment grants can submit their applications through the Waukee Betterment Foundation website. In 2022, the endowment fund supported various organizations including Love for Red, Waukee Area Christian Services, Waukee Area Historical Society, Waukee Community School Foundation, Can Play, and the Waukee YMCA. These grants have helped enhance the community and make it a better place for residents. Whether it's raising a family or retiring to a community with great amenities, Waukee has been a great place to live and grow for many people, and that comes from Jim Miller of the Waukee Betterment Endowment Fund Chair. And this was done in a made these remarks to a prepared statement. The Waukee Betterment Foundation is dedicated to finding ways to build on the community and make it a make it better now and for years to come. As part of Iowa's state government reorganization effective July 1st, the divisions of the Iowa Department of Cultural Affairs are now organized into two different departments. The Iowa Arts Council, Produce Iowa State Office of Film and Media, and the State Historic Preservation Office will relocate to the Iowa Economic Development Authority, which is led by Debbie Durham. Staff and program information for those divisions is now available at the website culture.iowa. AEDA.com. The Iowa Humanities Council and the State Historical Society of Iowa and its departments, State Historical Museum of Iowa, State Library and Archives of Iowa, Iowa History Research Centers, and Historic Sites will become part of the Iowa Department of Administrative Services led by Adam Steen. To connect with their staff program and information, one can visit history.iowa.gov. The contacts for each of these divisions are Iowa Arts Council, David Schmitz, is the administrator. Produce Iowa, Liz Gilman, is the film commissioner. The State Historic Preservation Office, Heather Gibb, is the deputy state historic preservation officer. Iowa Humanities Council, general information can be sent to the website, or I'm sorry, to the email iowa.humanities at iowa.gov. And the State Historical Society of Iowa is led by Susan Clower, who is the administrator there. Chris Kramer has resigned from her position with the State of Iowa and as the director of the Iowa Department of Cultural Affairs, according to the statement issued Friday. Before the reorganization, the Cultural Affairs Department also published its 2023 impact report detailing the role of Iowa's arts, films, humanity, culture, history, and historic preservation sector in the state. And elsewhere in the business record, Ellipsis hosts virtual auction for Iowa youth. Uh, Ellipsis, which is a youth services and shelter uh, or organization dedicated to supporting kids and families in central Iowa, announced the opening of its virtual auction with all proceeds aimed at benefiting the community. The auction runs in conjunction with the annual golf fundraiser, Teen Ellipsis. The Ellipsis 18 hosted each July at Glen Oaks Country Club. The virtual auction, accessible to all members of the public, provides an opportunity for those who don't golf or couldn't participate in T-Lipsis to make a difference in the lives of children and families. Running from July 10th to noon on July 18th, the auction offers an array of prizes, including a uh, wine tasting with 10 friends, a four-course dinner for 10 at Des Moines Big Grove, Brig, I'm sorry, Big Grove Brewery and Tap Room, a Des Moines Menace VIP ticket package, and others. Donations for the auction can be made by emailing events at ellipsisiowa, that's all one word, dot org.
And in human services news, two Central Iowa nonprofits to merge into a new organization. Bidwell Riverside Center in Hawthorne Hill, both rooted in the United Methodist Church and affiliated with United Way of Central Iowa, are set to merge on July 1st. The newly formed organization, um, Families Forward, will bring together the four original programs, Bidwell Pantry, Child Development Center, New Direction Shelter, and the Home Connection to offer comprehensive support to families in need. Executive Director Tim Shanahan expressed enthusiasm for the new organization and its commitment to serving low-income families in central Iowa. The merger will not affect the locations with Bidwell Pantry and Child Development Center remaining at 1203 Hartford Avenue and New Direction Shelter and the Home Connection continuing operations at 3001 Grand Avenue. To find out more about this partnership and ways to get involved, visit Family Forward's new website, and you can follow them on social media. Again, that new organization will be called Families Forward. Two University of Northern Iowa faculty members have been chosen for a prestigious Engage Scholars program. Campus Compact has announced the 2023-2024 cohort of Engaged Scholars, a group of 14 faculty and staff selected as part of its Engaged Scholars initiative. The scholars were nominated by institutional leaders and chosen based on their commitment to centering equity in their civic and community engagement work. Representing 13 institutions across the 11 states, the cohort comprises a diverse group of highly qualified individuals from campus compact member institutions nationwide. Among the selected scholars are two faculty members from the University of Northern Iowa. They are Cameron Warren, an assistant professor of sociology in the College of Social and Behavioral Sciences, and Sunu Chung, an assistant professor of literacy education in the College of Education. Warren's expertise lies in human rights, refugees, humanitarianism, and qualitative research methods. Chung's research centers on children's nonfiction literature and literary practices, particularly examining potential biases in nonfiction picture books and the role of adult readers as gatekeepers. Throughout the academic year, the engaged scholars will participate in various professional development activities. And this is a column written by Nicole Grunmeyer of the Business Record, and it's entitled Five Takeaways from Lifting the Veil Mental Health Forum. Be creative to find out what your employees need. And she writes, fostering good mental health is more important than ever before in workplaces, but the challenge has also never been greater, panelists said Thursday at DSM Magazine's Lifting the Veil Forum. The COVID-19 pandemic permanently transferred, uh, transformed jobs and where and how work is done. Beth Livingston, an associate professor of management and entrepreneurship at the University of Iowa, said, About a year and a half ago, I saw a lot of companies coming to me saying, what's the best practice here? Well, there isn't the best. We're in a whole new era. There's no best practice that I could share with you, but you should be creative to find out what your employees need. A virtual panel of Iowa experts joined DSM Business Records' sister publication to talk through current issues. Lifting the Veil publishes a magazine annually exploring Iowa's stories related to mental health and regular forums help illuminate these topics further. And here are five takeaways from the hour-long discussion. First one, adapting to the new normal of hybrid work and other changes is hard on everybody. Tina Leaf, Clinical Director of Employer and Family Resources, said, 
Those who shifted to working from home full-time for weeks or months or years found it wasn't easy. Sometimes my workplace was in a spare bedroom and you never got to disconnect from it. And the transition to more regular trips to the office isn't as simple as snapping fingers either. You think about all the things that they missed in that time. The socialization often happens down the hall. Second point from the hour-long discussion. A healthy workplace starts with the effort from bosses, but everybody contributes. It's still a relatively new development for employers to take active concern for their employees' mental health, but it's important to figure it out in order to build and maintain a strong team. Melissa Ness, president and CEO of, Connect- of Connectify, said, Employers have some responsibility to build a healthy culture to create the kind of environment where people can thrive. How can they provide work-life balance where possible? How can they provide employee assistance program services, even train managers in how to ask those compassionate questions? How are you doing today? Or how is your family? And just being there and showing true care for their employees. As for employees, Ness said, we all need to take responsibility for our mental health and well-being. What do we need? Who do we need to ask for help when we need it? The third point from this discussion, people are struggling to make real human connections work. Livingston, the University of Iowa professor, cited surveys indicating that 10% of American workers report having no friends at work. Livingston said, loneliness has been a big issue. People want to know how to build connections in an environment that they may not have grown up in, building sort of digital and social connections in the way that social media plays a role in our lives. And it has been very heartening to see businesses say, well, what can we do about that? Fourth point, intentional efforts to help workers connect with one another and with resources really do work. Anybody up against the deadline has probably grumbled at least once or twice about mandatory group meetings at work. But Timothy Flynn, a senior therapist in the Employee Assistance Program Division for Unity Point Health, said there's a purpose. A lot of these avenues of getting people to connect more sometimes can be met at first with resistance. Flynn continued, I'm sure anyone who has ever been in a meeting and they do an icebreaker and there's kind of eye rolling that happens in a groan, but then it works and the people might not admit it, but it does. And the fifth and final point from this discussion, speaking up and being vulnerable can help somebody who is struggling. Just seeing and hearing a colleague talk honestly about their own experiences with mental health can demonstrate to other people at work that it's okay to not be okay, that struggles don't have to be kept completely private, panelists agree. It's really helpful when there are role models of somebody who can step forward and say, hey, you know, I've had some struggle twos. That comment came from Scott Young, who's the Director of Psychological Services at Mind and Spirit Counseling Center. He added, especially if it's somebody in leadership, I think that makes it a lot easier for those other folks to be able to come forward and say, hey, I need some help too. That kind of self-disclosure and willingness to be vulnerable can be so helpful. And again, this was a story written by Nicole Grunmeyer. She is a staff writer and copy editor for the Business Record and covers women's issue as well as other human interest stories. Elsewhere in this uh, week's edition of the Business Record, July 5th, private equity firm invests in Smash Park. DCA Partners, a growth-oriented private equity firm, has invested in Smash Park Entertainment Group, a move that will help accelerate the entertainment 
company's expansion, the two groups announced. The investment by Roseville, California-based DCA Partners was described in a news release as a, quote, a significant minority growth investment, unquote. Smash Park was founded in 2018 by Monty and Carrie Lockyer. The indoor-outdoor venue combines recreation and competitive socializing with food and beverages. Smash Park, with locations in West Des Moines and Pella, is best known for introducing pickleball to the Des Moines area. New venues are under construction in Minneapolis and Omaha. This investment by DCA Partners will be an instrumental part of our expansion plan and enable us to bring the unique Smash Park experience to more markets across the country. And that quote came from Monty Lockyer in a prepared uh, statement. The state of Iowa has awarded more than $1.25 million in grants for the development of work-based learning programs for high school students. The grants are part of the statewide intermediary work-based learning grant program. will give students one-on-one contact with potential employers and help them make decisions about educational and career paths. The grants will also support technical assistance meetings between schools and employers and help create a minimum of 50 internship programs and 47 pre-apprenticeship programs. Beth Townsend, the Director of Iowa Workforce Development, said in a release announcing the grants, Iowa needs more workers, so we need to do everything possible to show Iowa young people that they can find strong, rewarding careers without having to leave their home state. We welcome any program that can help students engage with the work world, explore their options, and make smart decisions about their future. Eleven of the 13 grants were awarded to community colleges. The other two went to new programs launched by Central Iowa Building and Construction Trades and Junior Achievement of Eastern Iowa. Each of the grants totaled $96,666. The grant applications were open to community colleges, educational organizations, nonprofits, local workforce development boards, and other organizations that can help connect students with real worksite experiences. Grant applications will reopen in the Hawkeye and Southwestern Community College regions until July 13th to encourage organizations in those two regions to apply. Unity Point Emergency Medicine Residency Program to launch in 2024. Unity Point Health, Des Moines, announced that its new Emergency Medicine Residency Program has received full accreditation for the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education. The first class of six residents will begin the program in July 2024. The three-year program will include clinical education experience in Central Iowa's only Level 1 Adult Trauma Center, and Tertiary Referral Center, Iowa Methodist Medical Center, and Iowa's only Level 2 Pediatric Trauma Center, Blank Children's Hospital, where core rotations will be in the adult and pediatric emergency departments, the intensive care unit, Level 1 Trauma Surgery Service, and others. Dr. Nash Whitaker, Emergency Medical Residency Program Director, said in a prepared statement, By being a part of an established residency program, our residents will have the opportunity to build camaraderie with other residents, but at the same time, not competing for procedures or patient encounters. This will be the second emergency medicine residency program in Iowa. Applications for the program will open in September. In an article written by uh, Nicole Grunmeyer from the Business Record, uh, she writes that the Business Record has produced a photo issue since 2012. Last year, the photo issue was planned and executed by Emily Barsky, the Business Record's editor. 
Barsky got married this month and honeymooned in Maine. When she returns in July, she will be Emily Barsky Wood. She will be transitioning into her new role as a special projects editor. In her absence, I, meaning Nicole Grunmeyer, stepped in to help with this extraordinary issue. I enjoyed corresponding briefly with the four people profiled in this issue. The CEO of a nonprofit who is a Disney devotee, a principal architect who was seemingly destined to be a drummer, a CEO who helps entrepreneurs and is also a gifted painter, and a CEO and general manager who spends some of his free time hanging out with honeybees. Nicole would like to recognize and thank everyone involved in making this issue possible, especially business uh, publications photographer Dwayne Tinky. Is there anything as beautiful as sunlight streaming through a jar of fresh honey? Nicole was fascinated by how these people's hobbies often tied back in some way to their professional lives and work. Uh, I am a copy editor, Nicole writes, who also enjoys coaching and watching gymnastics. I realized recently that the goal of both pursuits is perfection, air-free, clean copy, and a perfect 10 in youth gymnastics, which represents an air-free, clean routine. Isn't human nature fascinating? And she concludes, I'm so grateful to these four people who gave us a window into their personal lives and ask us, what will you learn from them? So the first person that uh, Nicole um, writes about is um, Ann Bacon, who's the CEO of Impact Community Action Partnership. And the question she posed to Ann was, when not fighting the war in poverty, um, tell, she, Nicole asked her, tell us a little bit about your hobby. And Ann writes, when not fighting the war in poverty, I love planning trips and traveling to Disney destinations. This passion led me to being selected to serve two terms on the planned Disney panel, an online Disney resource where guests like myself answer people's questions about Disney trip planning. My motto is, is if you've traveled to a Disney destination, you didn't enjoy it, you didn't do it right. Next question posed to Ann was, when did this hobby start for you? My first Disney trip was when I was 11 years old. My mom drove my brother and me across the country to visit family in Disneyland. I was immediately enamored with the brand and its unique form of family entertainment. Since that time, I have visited both the Disneyland Resort in California and the Walt Disney World Resort in Florida more times than I care to admit. In addition, my family counts Disney Cruises as one of our top favorite vacation options. With as many trips as I have under my belt, I also enjoy the opportunity to help friends plan their trips in order to get the most out of their time. Uh, next question that Cole posed to Ann was, what's something this hobby provides you that applies to your job? And her response, Disney's commitment to excellent customer service has influenced the way we develop service delivery at our nonprofit. Everyone who comes through our door, calls us, or reaches out virtually should be met with a smile, kindness, and eagerness to help. It is Disney's customer service that brings my family back over and over. Additionally, the Disney Institute's Disney approach to leadership excellence provided me with fantastic building blocks in regards to operating our own values in um, vision at our nonprofit. And final question uh, posed by Nicole to Anne. Tell us a tip or fun fact about your hobby. My number one Disney trip tip is to arrive early. When at a Disney theme park, it is best to arrive at least 30 to 40 minutes prior to the planned park opening. The parks often open earlier than posted. The sooner you arrive, the shorter the lines. Also, if you have not been on a Disney trip, do your research and get some assistance from someone 
as Disney-fied, her word, as me. There are many tips and tricks that will make your trip better. An unexpected tip for those traveling to theme parks. If one goes to the restroom, you all go. If you know, you know. Okay, the next person that Nicole interviewed in this uh, article um, was the photo issue 2023, and it was Corey Sharp, who's a principal um, architect at FHE Design. So these are the questions she posed, and then these are the answers uh, from Corey to those questions by Nicole. First question, tell us a little bit about your hobby. His response, in my spare time, I play drums in a local cover band named Plastic Apartment. We cover a wide range of genres, but focus primarily on 90s alternative and modern country music. It's a great little change of pace hobby where I can relieve some stress, play some fun tunes, and hang out with good friends. Being a heavy-hitting drummer may be something that causes my bandmates grief and potential hearing loss, but I consider it a key identifier of who I am and the energy in which I approach life. Next question. When did this hobby start for you? I've always been a noisemaker, so when growing up, it was natural that I wanted to become a drummer. After a few years of piano lessons, I began playing drums around 12 years old, so I've been making noise for about 23 years now. During my time at Iowa State University, some friends and I assembled a fun-having cover band named Plastic Apartment. We've been playing shows in Ames, Des Moines, and all over Iowa for the, next, for the last 15 years. Another question for Corey, what's something this hobby provides you that applies to your job? As an architect, it takes a team to make a project become a reality. It's the same with drums. No one wants to hear someone just hammer away on a hi-hat or kick drum. It takes an entire set of individual sounds to create the effect of a well-formed drum pattern. The same could be said for an entire band. It takes a true taste of each instrument to create a beautiful piece of music. It's the main reason I enjoy collaborating with teams in my professional career at FEH Design, but also that same teamwork produces the fun vibes we create as a band. And a final question for Corey, tell us a tip or fun fact about your hobby. The technical term for the seat that the drummer sits on is called a throne. That makes a drummer the king of the band, right? Uh, again, that was written by Nicole Grunmeyer. And the next person that Nicole interviewed was Ted Corrigan, and this is part of the uh, annual business record photo edition. And her first question she posed to Ted, tell us a little bit about your hobby. His response, I have been fascinated with bees and beekeeping for years. The history and development of modern beekeeping is an interesting story spanning thousands of years. The structure and order of a hive has always appealed to me as an engineer. I also enjoy the challenge of persuading the bees who are free to leave at any time to stay and share the fruits of their labor with our family and friends. Next question for Ted. What did this hobby, or when did this hobby start for you? His response. I was introduced to beekeeping by my brother-in-law who had been a beekeeper for many years. When he passed away 12 years ago, my wife and I literally inherited his bees. It was a bit of a rocky start that first year. Standing among the hives, reading beekeeping for dummies, trying to understand what we needed to do to get them through the winter. But when spring came and they were still alive, we embraced what has become a real family affair over the years. Now the honey harvest is one of the few times a year our whole family gets together. Next question for Ted, what's something this hobby provides you that applies to your job? He said, the structure and order of a hive produces an interesting parallel to the workplace. 
Everyone has a well-defined role, the training they need, clear expectations, and accountability. It seems like a recipe for success. And finally, in answer to the question, tell us a tip or fun fact about your hobby, Ted said, you're going to get stung. It hurts less if you remember that it's just the bees doing their job. Fun fact, honey never spoils. Honey found in King Tut's tomb was still good. And the final of the people that Nicole interviewed for the business photo uh, edition was Erin Rollenhanger. She's the founder and CEO of Entrepreneurial Technologies. And again, the four questions. Um, and the first question posed for Phyllis was, uh, tell us a little bit about your hobby. I paint with acrylics on canvas using a combination of abstract and representational styles. Some designs involve mathematical precision, and others are more free-flowing swirls. When did this hobby start for you? Well, I've always enjoyed creative pursuits and took a lot of art classes as a child. I took a long break when I went to college and entered the workforce and started painting again about eight years ago when I felt I needed to be able to immerse myself in something and embrace the process rather than being obsessive about the end result. It's a paradox of creativity that in order to create something wonderful, you often have to be willing to create something ugly first. Next question for Phyllis, what's something this hobby provides you that applies to your job? Painting is a metaphor for technology because to be a true master of the craft, you have to spend a great deal of time just learning the parameters of the medium. What does it do well? What pushes its limits? What tricks does it have? Learning to express the fullest potential of the medium is the true art. It's also true that the most successful paintings, like successful user interfaces, start with a plan for what I want the audience to focus on. Then the choices made about proportion, colors, and shapes all follow that plan. And a final question for Phyllis. Tell us a tip or fun fact about your hobby. Contrast level heavily influences the emotion. To stimulate the emotion, to, I'm sorry, to simulate the emotion, imagine what real-life situations would create such contrast. Low contrast, like sunrise and sunset, is calm and soothing. High contrast is energetic, like the bright height lights and deep shadows in the middle of the day. In very high contrast can even imply conflict in some cases. Think explosions during an armed conflict at night. You can use this principle to create the mood you want in a variety of situations from deciding what to wear to decorating a room. And that's a look at the four people interviewed by Nicole Grunmeyer for the business photo uh, annual edition. And now, uh, time to read about an ongoing feature of the business record, what they're checking out. And staff members of the Boeing Public Library will recommend a business-related book to add to your reading list. Find this and more books like it at any of the Des Moines Public Library's six locations and online at dmlpl.org. And find information about how to get a free library card and all its benefits also at the Des Moines Public Library website. So the Des Moines Public Library business book pick. This week was The Case for Good Jobs, How Great Companies Bring Dignity, dignity, Pay, and Meaning to Everyone's Work. And this is a book by Zenyan Tan. Why you should read it. Well, his, uh, this MIT professor's book works as a leadership guide offering perspective and lessons on why providing good jobs that offer a living wage, dignity, and opportunities for growth are the key to excellence in business. Modern America is dealing with a work crisis as companies are struggling to find and keep workers. Why? 
because the jobs being offered are low pay, high stress, and come without advancement opportunities. Tun's book aims to show the way out of this vicious cycle using her expertise as president of the Good Jobs Institute and from time on the front lines spent with workers. And another regular feature of the business record is uh, people on the moves. We look at people who are uh, changing jobs. Uh, first up, Carl Bain, Exemplar Care. He has been hired as the on-site full-time president and chief strategy officer. Glenn Guswell, um, Lewis and Ellis Incorporated. He's been hired as their vice president and consulting actuary. Abby Renzi, Graham Construction Company. She's been hired as their project coordinator. Kyle Derner from Graham Construction Company. He's been hired as a field, field engineer. Philip S. Bubb from Fredrickson & Bryan. He's been recognized as the 2023 Great Plains Super Lawyer in Construction Litigation. Christo Alcamp of Fredrickson & Bryan is recognized as the 2023 Great Plains Super Lawyer Real Estate. Also from Fredrickson & Bryson, Brett Dublinski, he's been recognized as the 2023 Great Plains Super Lawyer Energy and Resources. Uh, Bridget Pennick, also of Fredrickson & Bryan, been recognized as a 2023 Great Plains Super Lawyer in Employment and Labor. Emily Pontius of Fredrickson & Bryan, recognized as the 2023 Great Plains Super Lawyer Employment and Labor. Also from Fredrickson & Bryan, Kara S. Donalds. She's been recognized as a Great Plains Rising Star in Intellectual Property and Litigation. From Fredrickson & Bryan, uh, Olivia Norwood, recognized as a Great Plains Rising Star in Employment Litigation and Defense. Thomas Patton from Fredrickson & Bryan, has been recognized as a 2023 Great Plains Rising Star. Christy Dahl, also from Fredrickson & Byron, has been recognized as a 2023 Rising Star in Energy and Resources. Kendra Simmons, uh, Fredrickson & Byron, has been recognized as a Rising Star in the area of Employment Litigation Defense. Brandon Underwood, also from Fredrickson & Byron, uh, recognized as a Rising Star in Construction Litigation. From Holmes Murphy, Dave Bachman made a first purchase of stock with Holmes Murphy. Nola Cartmeal from Holmes Murphy also made her first purchase of stock, as did uh, Ross Ingersoll, Quinn Leith, Denise Pfister, Seth Rooker, Will Roth, Zach Stelts, Beth Wagner, Chase Wagner, Jeffrey Austin White, and um, switching in, those were all with Holmes Murphy. Drew Dunko um, with Associated Computer Systems. He's been promoted their chief operating officer. Mark Johnson with Graham Construction has been hired as a field engineer, as has Noah uh, Mumby and Jesse Hums of the White's Company, promoted to vice president of White's Industrial. In bicycling news, Ames and Ankeny are ranked among the best medium-sized cities for bicycling, and that's according to People for Bikes, the U.S. Biking Association's trade association, and a national advocacy nonprofit. Ankeny ranks second in the medium city category, which includes communities with populations between 50,000 and 300,000. Ames ranked eighth. The highest-ranked community in the medium city category was Davis, California. People for Bikes rating system identifies the best cities for bicycling 
A score between 80 and 100 indicates that most common destinations are accessible by safe, comfortable bike routes that serve people of all ages and abilities. Ankeny's score was 74. Ames was 60. In other news, in this week's uh, business record, MidAmerican has been awarded $37.8 million from a federal grant to build middle mile internet infrastructure. The project will support ISPs in making last-mile connections. This is a story written by Sarah Dean of the Business Record. MidAmerican Energy Corporation has received 30, $37.8 million federal grant from the Department of Commerce, National Telecommunications, and Information Administration. It, the award was announced with over $930 million to expand middle-mile high-speed Internet infrastructure with grants to projects in 35 states. The funding comes from the Biden administration's Enabling Middle Mile Broadband Infrastructure Program, which invests in projects that build regional networks that connect to national Internet networks. Middle mile infrastructure carries large amounts of data over long distances, increases capacity to local networks, boosts network resilience, and makes it easier and more affordable to connect unserved areas. MidAmerican's project proposes using its existing and planned communication networks to provide connectivity to Internet service providers that can deliver broadband to end users. The utility company will offer unused capacity on its existing fiber network, a total of 24 strands of fiber, and that relates to 1,365 miles, as new open access infrastructure for uh, ISPs. An additional 72 strands, which is 775 miles of new build, will also be open for dark fiber leasing, a news release said. Tina Hoffman, MidAmerica's Vice President of Corporate Communication and Public Affairs, said in a statement to the business record, by installing new fiber optic facilities and opening up unused bandwidth in our existing company fiber network, which we use to monitor and control our systems, this will add some 2,100 miles of high-speed internet backbone to rural Iowa. Hoffman added that uh, adding to the existing fiber network will increase reliability for our electric and gas customers. She said in the statement that MidAmerica is working on details for the project and will soon be reaching out to internet service providers about connecting to its planned fiber network. Again, that article written by Sarah Dean, a staff writer at the Business Record, and she covers innovation and technology, human resources, and education. And finally, from the business record, Isabel Schroeder, a senior at Drake University, majoring in clinical and medical sciences, has been selected for Drake's Summer Undergraduate Research Fellowship to study the slower reduction of cancer death rates in rural areas. A 2021 report from the Iowa Cancer Registry shows that Iowa is projected to have the second highest rate of cancer cases in the country this year, while cancer death rates have declined more nationally and in urban areas. Schroeder's research will consider agricultural risk factors and explore preventive and risky behaviors for cancer among Iowa farmers. Any farmers willing to participate in a research uh, project can fill out an anonymous and confidential health survey. Schroeder is from Odeboat and plans to go to medical school and return to serve her rural community, according to her statement. And that's a look at this week's business record for July 5th, 2023. This has been Pat Steele reading. Thank you for joining me. I look forward to doing this again with you next week.